Before we even kick off the podcast, I just want to remind everyone to go like, subscribe, and keep up with these weekly episodes. If you like what you hear, spread the word so more coaches can tune in for our weekly podcasts. All right, here we go. The Hog Football Podcast is brought to you by GameStrat. GameStrat is the number one sideline replay choice for the top football programs in the country. Their system is extremely reliable, easy to set up and use, and they also have the best customer service in the industry. Go to GameStrat.com to learn why more coaches keep switching to GameStrat for their sideline replay system. That's GameStrat.com. G-A-M-E-S-T-R-A-T.com. Before we move on, let's talk about the fastest growing sports team software, All In Team Sports, and how it's helping coaches save time while streamlining their communication, scheduling, and so much more. It's no surprise that coaches are always looking for ways to increase efficiency and save time. That's why this software is so great. It offers coaches all the features they need to manage their teams, from player nutrition and health goals to in-app awards, document sharing, and a team feed that immediately boosts player engagement. This software makes it easy for coaches to stay organized and help their teams succeed. The software also allows coaches to set up a variety of different activities and tasks. For example, coaches can create a schedule for their team, assign tasks to individual players, and even create custom messages for specific groups or individuals. This allows coaches to quickly communicate with their players and keep track of their progress. Plus, the software also allows coaches to create and manage sports-specific activities such as drills and practices. And for all the football coaches out there, they have a video system that is built to work with Huddle that is top-notch. You can sign up today using using code HOGFOOTBALLCHAT to get 75 days entirely free. And I promise it will be an app that will replace all others on your phone. Check them out by going to allinteamsports.com or give them a follow on Twitter at allinteamsports. Hi, I'm Coach Tony Schiffman, and welcome to the Hog Football Podcast, where we talk all things football and all things offensive line. Hey guys, so today I've got with me Coach James Rosenberry. Coach Rosenberry uh, was previously the head coach at Kenyon College uh, in Ohio for three seasons. Is that right, Coach, or two seasons? Yep, three three seasons, one of them being the pandemic season. Right, two, two and a half seasons, so we'll, we'll say that, two and a half seasons. So um, did you guys, not to, not to get off because I'm going to continue with your bio, but did you guys end up playing games that spring? I, I can't remember we, if we've talked about that or not. We did not. We had... Um, a uh, fairly restrictive uh, practice regiment that we could do. Right. And, you know, we trained with them. And, and one of the, the drawbacks we had is we just didn't have everybody on campus. We had sure. freshmen and sophomore on campus in the fall and then sophomores, juniors, and seniors in the spring. So it would just, you know, it, it presented some additional challenges that year. Right. No idea. That was, it, it's still, it's crazy to me thinking about, about that spring because it was such it feels like it was the longest three months ever just going through what we went through and 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 we 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 played games so we played we scheduled four we ended up playing three of those four and it was i all i remember is the first game it was just like a weight lifted off the our shoulders as coaches and the players shoulders for sure just being able to go out there and, and play and i i think i was looking through old 
old messages on on Facebook or something, and it, it had been like five hundred plus days since we last played a game. Yeah. Um, and so it was just it's it was crazy thinking back to that. But but yeah, anyway, I'm I'm glad we're past that time. So yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Well, let me let me go ahead and finish some of your bio, and then then we'll get going a little bit more. Um, coached at McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, in a in a variety of roles. Um, helped them helped them to to an improved record in in 2016. Um, coached at Grinnell College, which I didn't realize. Um, and and I've got a couple questions about that because that that's a uh, you know, I, I used to coach in that conference. Uh, University of Redlands coached at, at Case Western Reserve um, and was a, a former all-conference running back at Case Western Reserve as well. So um, lots of lots of stuff to talk about, Coach. Welcome uh, officially after we've already introduced you, but welcome officially to the, to the podcast. Um, I, I'm looking forward to talking with you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, Tony. Thanks so much for, for asking me to come on. This is great. Yeah, of course, of course. You, you and I have, uh, are, are we, we've started to build a relationship over the past year, just talking football and and kind of, you know, getting our ideas out on on paper a little bit, uh, which was great for me because it was awesome talking with somebody, just being able to talk football with somebody and and somebody fresh and different. So, um, I'm I'm glad you had reached out. Uh, shoot, probably about a year ago, uh, probably yeah. a little bit more than a year ago, um. And we were able to connect that way, so that's that's awesome. Um, talk to me a bit, because because you've you've been a part of a, a lot of different programs and some really good programs. Talk to me about how the offensive line uh, played a role in some of those really good seasons that that you were a part of. Yeah, um, I think you know, obviously, my opinion. I'm a little biased, but I I think your offense begins and ends with your offensive line. Um, I've always been a big believer in building. Uh, a program building an offense around uh, the, the line and what they can do. So, um, you know, some of the best teams I've been a part of when I first started coaching at Case Western, we, we hit a run there where we um, had a, had a really nice winning streak of about mm-hmm. 30 plus regular season games. And so it, it all stemmed, you know, we had a great quarterback, um, no doubt about it, but we had an exceptional offensive line right. and, they were different in, in a lot of ways, you know, across the board, and it changed over those three years. But without having a, a really good offensive line, um, we wouldn't have made the playoffs three straight years like we did. Right. Um, same same thing at Redlands. We had uh, the year we we made it to the the Division Three playoffs. Our offensive line, we ran the ball um, down people's throats, right. and again, we had a good quarterback who was a dual threat guy, but um, our offensive line just mauled people. And it was, you know, we did, there were years where we were zone teams. There were years when we were power pin and pull teams. And and you just kind of have to adjust depending on what you have up front. But um, I think any good offense begins and ends with that O-line. Yeah. It's, it's funny how, when you really get down to it and when you look at those really, really, you know, because, you know, looking, you guys went, you know, 31 and three. I would venture to guess, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that was probably a lot of very similar – or not similar, but the, the same guys played on those teams on the offensive line. Or was it – you know, that's kind of the way I look at it. Or was it all kind of new every year, different? Or was it a lot of the same holdovers? Yeah, it was a lot of continuity, and that helped. And, and even the guys uh, – continuity, you know, not necessarily from year to year, but, like, the same guys started – you know, all 10, 11 games. Right. And that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yep. And that helped them, you know, as, as you and I both know, communication is so important up oh, front. Yeah. And for them to be able to understand each other's strengths, but also their deficiencies, and to be able to work on those together yeah. for, for 10, 11 games, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's so important. Um, because without communication, it's just a bunch of, you know, basically chickens with their heads cut off running around. Oh, yeah. And, and, and it's, it's funny, too, you say that because there's – and you've been around. You've coached the offensive line, obviously. You've, you've, you've been a part of that. There's sometimes when the best communication for those guys is no communication, where it's almost like a, a, a you know, a sly wink here and there, and they know exactly what the guy next to them is going to do. Um, and that comes with, you know, putting in those weeks and weeks and weeks of, of practice together and, and all that, all those days. And uh, it's just, you know, it's like they know what they're doing before they even think about doing it and those are those are when you really kind of have the the special special seasons um and special special teams with when you've got guys like that yeah and i think a lot of that has to come down to to trust you know guys trusting each other um and and like you said you know there's if we're doing our jobs right they can go up there and see whatever front is being presented to them and know that um, number one know their job and yeah. number two trust the guy next to them that they know their job and and I think if you have those two pieces um, and and guys that are at least decent at what they do you're gonna have a pretty good old line and you're gonna have a, a, a pretty good offense right yeah no doubt no doubt about it that's why it's the the best position uh, on the field in my opinion but um, I'm, I'm biased <laughs> so uh, it, it's I, I have to say that but it's it, it's uh, I know there's a lot of people that would agree with me as well so um, but so looking at you again, looking through your bio played at case Western was a running back, um, had, had a, a, you know, a phenomenal career, then turned that around and became a coach at case Western. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about that process. Uh, and, and that time, you know, when you were fresh out of college, I'm always fascinated by guys that kind of go back and and coach at their alma maters after a time, but you know, you sort of jumped right into it. How, how was that? And what struggles did you have, um, you know, kind of making that quick transition from player to, to coach in, in such a short amount of time? Yeah, it's, it's really an interesting story because it was never the plan. Um, I actually, so I was a, a sociology major and, and I was on the pre-law track at Case Western and had taken um, my, my LSATs, uh, the law school admissions test and did well enough to get into a couple schools. And so that was kind of the path I was on. I was going to go to law school and very late in my senior year, um, right around February, March, the head coach came to me and he said, um, you know, we don't have a running backs coach right now. Would you be interested in helping out? And, you know, I just saw it as a way to kind of say goodbye to the game. And so sure. I said, yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. And, you know, did it for spring practices, had a blast, um, most of the guys that I was coaching were guys that I played with. Um, and so uh, after I was done, I I, I kind of – I fell in love with it, Tony. Right. <laughs> it was it was not something that, that I thought would happen. And, you know, I was lucky enough to, to be invited back in kind of like a part-time capacity. Um, and, and just basically 
I was working, you know, a, a full-time job with, with a couple of buddies that had started a, a company and I was doing some stuff, some project management stuff for them. Mm-hmm. And, and then I would leave work around three, show up about 30. We'd be on the practice field by four 30. And so, um, you know, I, it was, for me, it was a great experience because, um, the position I was coaching running backs was a position I knew really, really well. Right. I think where I, the biggest struggles for me, um, at least how my brain worked in college, um, I so coming coming into to college football, I came from a triple option offense, split back veer. So the the offense that that Case ran was was spread, you know, three four wide, a lot of zone read stuff. Right, and so that was basically that was like Chinese to me. I just didn't. It, it was so foreign to me that you know it was a lot to learn. And, and, you know, my first year there, I probably struggled with the offense because it was just so different than what I had done in high school. But once I got a grasp of it, you know, things became much easier. Right. And the same is true for my, my coaching journey. I knew running backs, knew it well, um, knew how to identify fronts, knew how to identify blitzes. But when it came to maybe some of the back end stuff, um, you know, the 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 route running, things like that. It mm-hmm. was it was a foreign language to me. So there was a lot of learning, um, a lot of learning about coverages, a lot of learning about, you know, safeties and and uh, the secondary and, and how they disguise things. So I think those three years, it was it was like going to football school. Right. Um, and, and it was great because I was surrounded by by people I trusted and that people that that wanted to see me grow and be successful. And, and, you know, we all had pretty tremendous success those three years, but it was, it was great. It was a great learning experience for me. And, and when those three years ended, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And, and now I had the knowledge and the tools to go pursue it at another school. Right. Did, did you ever have, were there ever any kind of come to Jesus moments, I guess, in, because, you know, you were, you were coaching guys that the year before you were peers, you know, were there any of those moments where you had to kind of pull them aside or, or maybe the head coach or the offensive coordinator had to, had to pull those guys aside and say, you know, don't, don't let that line blur between buddy and coach or, or, or was it pretty, was it pretty smooth kind of just being there, you know, being their supervisor, I guess, so to speak. Yeah, it was, it was a struggle because these were, these were friends. These were guys that, you know, we hung out after games. Right. And so it was, you know, I, I wouldn't, from that aspect of it, it probably wasn't the smoothest transition. And um, again, I, I was very lucky, you know, Greg Debelak, who's still the head coach at Case Western was, was very patient with me, but right. was also very direct and honest with me about what was acceptable and what wasn't. And right. so if ever he saw those lines kind of sort of blurring, he let me know about it. So sure. again, very lucky to have uh, a head coach that um, was a was a mentor to me, and and also I think those players, to their credit, they understood that that I had value um, to to bring to them. I I could make them better, right? And and you know hopefully they they agree, but I I think I did, and we had we had four, we used four backs, and they all had different skill sets, but they were all very successful in how we used them. Um, and, and I think that's a testament number one to them, but number two to the way that they took the coaching that I gave them. Right. No, that's good. I mean, it's, it's, you, you see, you've been around long enough and I've been around long enough. You, you see and hear horror stories about guys 
getting that opportunity kind of right away and just fumbling it. No, no pun intended, but um, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it happens, it happens more often than not, but it's good to see that there are, you know, positive outcomes from that. um, Cause it can, it can go, it can go the opposite way real quick and, and just be an absolute terror. So, um, it, Absolutely. It's, good, it's good that it, it was positive. Um, you know, one of the things that kind of jumped out about looking through your bio and things that you and I have talked about a little bit, and I don't even know if you realize this, but I realize this, and you probably did because you're smart. A lot of the places, and by a lot, every every school you've worked for, every job you've worked for has been a very high academic institution. Um, <laughs> is that something that you even realized kind of along the way, or was it just sort of, you got done with your time at, at Case Western and, and sort of knew what sort of, you know, knew, knew the, knew the recruitment piece and knew the kids you were looking for. And it just felt natural to move on to another high academic institution, you know, like Grinnell and McAllister and all these places that are, are very much you're recruiting student athletes with the emphasis on student. Um, was that something you even realized was happening or, or it just was a sort of a natural kind of, flow as you went along through your career uh that's a great question i think part of it was was a little bit of luck and Mm. i think the other part was intentional um i i i had such a great experience a student athlete experience at case western right and i wanted to work with student athletes that were like the guys that i played with and and so um grinnell was probably a little bit of luck because you know, I, I I left Case, you know, knowing that I wanted to coach, but was applying to things and, you know, was getting told no a lot. And right. <laughs> so, you know, we, we've, we've all been there. But oh, yeah. um, I very late, it was probably August, right before August 1st, and this Grinnell job popped open. I can't remember where I saw it, but um, I applied and, and like a day later, I got a call from the head coach mm-hmm. and you know, we talked, um, we did a phone interview. We didn't, Zoom wasn't a thing back then, but right. um, we did another phone interview, talked to some X's and O's, and he's like, can you get here next week? And <laughs> I was like, yeah, let's let's go. So, you know, we had about two weeks before camp started, maybe not even, maybe it was like 10 days. And so I learned the offense, um, you know, I was, I did some special team stuff for him and it, it was, it was great. So if, if not for that, you know, who knows where I would be right now. Right. Um, yeah. Grinnell. And then, you know, after Grinnell, I knew that I wanted to work. Um, I wanted to be a graduate assistant. I want to get my master's degree um, because as we know in, in this business, having a master's degree, if you want to be a head coach, that's kind of a, uh, a mandatory requirement. So um, the, the Redlands job kind of popped out, uh, of nowhere um they had lost a ga and i didn't know anyone there and just i honestly got lucky because right. what a, what an amazing program that uh, mike maynard built there for gosh 30 plus years and i was able to just be a part of uh, of a program and and to learn under a head coach that really he's he's gonna be a hall of famer someday he's he's right. that good. um and so that was that was fantastic. And then you know again, uh, Case called again, and and it was like okay, back to Case High Academic. And then at that point, I'd I'd been so ingrained in the high academic world that it just felt natural to stay in it with sure. with McAllister, and then the opportunity at Kenyon because I knew that world, I knew how to recruit high academic student athletes, 
and I, I liked it. Um, it. It suited me, but um, you know, that's not to say that other schools at, at the Division two, Division three level wouldn't have been great. It's just kind of the path that I chose and, and right. that worked for me. Right. No, I mean, it's, it's funny. It's funny you say that because, you know, obviously I spent, I spent my first three years at Lake Forest, which is a very high academic institution. And, and during my time at, at Elmhurst, I felt myself drawn to those kids and recruiting more. So, you know, obviously there's, you know, you're not recruiting 1.5 GPAs, but, but I found myself sort of drawn to those three fives and three sixes more so than the, the two eights and the two nines, just because I, I think I knew in my mind, I was telling myself, you know what, if they can get in, if they can get into Lake Forest with the, you know, if they've got the grades for Lake Forest, they can definitely get in here. And so yeah. it was just an easier kind of recruiting piece to sort of narrow kids down a little bit and find, you know, find that good fit for, for your school. And, and, and every, every school is different with their fit, obviously. I mean, you know that you've, you've been around and, but it's, it's, it's funny. I just was noticing that with, with your schools that they were all, all that. So I just wanted to, I was, I was curious sort of the, the why behind it all. So, um, but that, that explains it. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, before we get to, before we get to your time at Kenyon, cause I've got some questions about that. Let's talk a little bit kind of about at what, at what point in your journey, did you sort of realize or, or decide, you know what, I, I can, I can be in charge. I can be a head coach. I think it's time to make that transition what 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 point or what moment did you sort of did it click for you that that you can do it yeah I it's it's funny because you know in football we all look at you know there's there's certain steps you have to take right in order to become a head coach you know obviously being able to uh coach on you know one or both sides of the ball multiple positions um you know good understanding of special teams of recruiting of operations you know I think those are all important and then, you know, being a coordinator, that's kind of a, an essential step. And, and honestly, it's one that, that I skipped a little bit. Right. Um, you know, I had some, some OC uh, experience at the, at the junior varsity level at Case Western. But, you know, outside of that, I, I didn't have that, that coordinator experience in terms of O or D, but had a, a pretty wide breadth of positions that I coached and jobs that I held. And, and I remember thinking when I was at McAllister, um, I, I looked back on all the coaches that I've had the opportunity to learn from. Um, Greg Dedelak at Case, who completely turned around that program. Um, Mike Maynard, same thing. You know, when he got to Redlands, they were terrible, and he right. turned them into a championship-winning program. And then Tony Jennison at McAllister. McAllister was was one of the worst programs in Division Three football. They were a laughing stock, right. and he turned them into a playoff team. So. I looked back and I said, I've, I've been able to really learn from three guys who have built things from the ground up and, and sustained that excellence. And when the Kenyan job came open, I said, you know, I, I am missing this piece. But if, if I, when I looked back and I thought on what I'd learned, I said, I, I think I can do this. And I right. think I can do this really well. And so it was probably that aha moment where instead of thinking about what I hadn't done, I thought about what I had done and what I learned and who I had learned from. And I said, you know, 
worst thing they can do is say no. So why not? Right. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's, it, it is. I think that that mentality sometimes gets gets lost a little bit with with coaches because we, I think we, we as coaches naturally, I don't want to say fear rejection, but we try to avoid it just because that's sort of you know the recruiting piece. But we also get numb to it um, at some point too. So yeah. you know, I think a lot of guys are are apprehensive. Let's use that word: apprehensive to to take that leap and make that step. Um, without doing you know like like you said where they where they skipped a few parts um but that's i think that's i think it's phenomenal that 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 you did that and that you were obviously given that given the opportunity and and um you know that my next question is in regards to that opportunity talk a bit talk a bit about when you did get that job and sort of the struggles you know obviously we will we'll, We'll throw COVID out because that's a struggle we never all talk about. But talk to me about some of the struggles you had just when you first got the job and and, and how, when you sort of piggybacking off the first question, when you saw things were clicking and, and, and working the way you wanted it to work. Yeah, it um, it, it was my first big opportunity to to lead a staff and you know i think as a special teams coordinator you get to do that in a smaller capacity because right. most of your coaches are are working the special teams in some aspect so you know it was kind of uh, this was kind of the next evolution of that in a way but um it was a young staff it was a staff that hadn't won a game in almost three years right uh, it was a team that hadn't won a game in almost three years so they they were craving something new, but at the same time, I knew that if if what I was proposing and what what I was trying to execute um, didn't at least show signs of improvement fairly quickly, right. that you could lose them pretty quickly, um, both the staff and the players. So the first thing I focused on was I looked at how we recruited and and what we did in terms of retaining our student athletes. Because as you and I both know, um, you got to recruit the right type of players and then you got to keep them. Right. Uh, and so that's what I focused on immediately. Uh, we were, I got hired literally right in the middle of spring ball. So I didn't want to, the coaching staff had already started kind of a program, a regiment, and, and I didn't want to completely upend things um, because the players and the staff had been through enough that more change immediately, I don't think would have been a good thing. So I took spring ball to really evaluate who we had, who are our players, who are, who are the guys that are going to help us, um, who are the guys that need developing, and then um, who what, what are our coaches good at? Um, what is their style of coaching? What do the players respond to? What don't they respond to? Right. So I really watched that first spring, and you know I, I interjected when I needed to, um, and and I think it was really beneficial for me because I learned a lot about right. everyone. And, you know, through that time, I, I continued to um, shape our recruiting efforts um, and, and try to, we, I think we had a couple guys that we were still recruiting at that point. Um, but, you know, we could really focus on that next class. So, you know, those were all challenges at the beginning. And then, you know, there's, there's the other administrative stuff that you don't see the meetings you have to sit in on with, with the uh, leadership, um, with the other coaches, um, you know, admissions, 
we had a really good relationship with admissions. And so that was never an issue. I think there was a really, there was an understanding there. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think the biggest thing for me was when you, when you go to a place, the, the question I kept asking people, what does a Kenyan student athlete look like? Right. What's the best fit? And so I asked that of multiple coaches, of multiple professors, of multiple um, administrators, because I needed to get a firm grasp of what are the best fits for Kenyan college. Um, because in the past, I think what they tried to do was they tried to take a really good football player and a really good student that wasn't a fit to Kenyon and shove it down Kenyon's throat. Right. And that never works. And so we had to find those kids that were all three and that we could retain. And we started seeing signs of, of improvement. You know, the first camp uh, that, that fall, that summer in August was, it was hard because we were asking them to do things. We were holding them accountable. And there was a time where, um, you know, they were, the team was very divided. Um, it was very offense, defense oriented on the field, off the field. Mm -hmm. They were great. But uh, I remember one practice where they were just being jerks, all of them. And right. so about 45 minutes into practice, I stopped practice and I kicked them off the field. I said, we're not <laughs> doing this. We're not, we're not wasting our time. Um, we're, and we're not going to be a bunch of idiots on the field. So I kicked them off the field and I said, seniors, figure it out. And, and I think that was a very pivotal moment. Um, I think it showed them that I wasn't going to put up with their crap. Right. Um, and, and that they, they needed to have some ownership. This wasn't just, it, it couldn't, if we were going to be successful, it could be me led. Um, it had to be player led. And so, you know, the next day we got out there, had a much better practice, um, did some really good things. We, uh, what did we do? So we went and we scrimmaged, uh, Waynesburg and we had a really good scrimmage, did some, did some positive things. And it, it all kind of led into that first game at uh, Catholic University down in D.C. Mm -hmm. and, and this was a big event because we had a donor who, um, uh, a football alum, who gave a bunch of money so we could have a huge tailgate party down in Washington, D.C. And so we had this huge party. Admissions was there. The president was there. Um, you know, the, our athletic director and several of, of the other head coaches were there. It was a huge deal. Right. And so we go down and, and we play this game and. Um, we went in double overtime and that was, that was huge because we snapped the 26 game losing streak. Um, it for our players because we were down 17 to seven at halftime. And in the past they would have folded because right. they would have been like, here we go again. We're, we're going to lose, yeah. but they came back. We had a chance to win it in regulation. We missed a field goal. They could have given up then, but we came back and, and we won it in double OT. So that was really the, the first instance where I was like, we can do this here. Right. And we, we have the right people. We may not be the best football team yet, but we've got the right people. Right. So. It's, and you know, everyone's sort of, everybody looks for that. Every head coach looks for that sort of defining win, um, you know, in their, in their program that, that again, like you said, opens your eyes and kind of says, all right, we can do this. This is something that we're, you know, A, we're on the right path. B, the players are buying in. And C, it, it, it's the reward is, is being shown. And so that's um, that's what everyone always looks for, obviously, is to find that win. And for you guys to find it that way, it's that's, that's pretty cool and that's pretty neat. And I'm sure that's a memory that you you won't forget anytime soon. 
Oh no, it was it was incredible. I remember um, finding um, my uh, my my partner Anna after the game, and um, we we just hugged and we we just cried. We yeah. we cried because it was just we we'd worked so hard for it. Um, you know, as you know, your your wives, our partners, they go through a lot because we go right. through a lot, and so it was just a it was a special moment all around for everybody. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's uh, that's a very cool story. Um, well, I, I don't want to keep you all day long because we definitely can, could talk all day long. So I, I want to get you out of here, but, uh, before I do, I need you to answer the, the tough question. Um, and that's the, the Mount Rushmore question. Um, if you could put together a, a Mount Rushmore of offensive linemen from guys you coached guys you played with, or guys you're just a, a fan of who would be on that five man offensive line? Oh my gosh. I, for me, this is, this is really, really easy because I grew up. Um, so my dad's originally from Dallas and I grew up a Dallas Cowboys fan. Oh boy, okay. so for me, for me, it would be that early nineties, probably that 1992, 1993 Dallas Cowboys offensive line. Yep. Um, where in, in my opinion, I think they're, they're maybe the greatest offensive line ever assembled. I'm sure you'll have Patriots fans that'll say, ah, oh, Tom Brady, uh, this, that, the other, his offensive line. But I mean, they were just freaking maulers. Um, yeah. and so I, you know, I, I, this is not a, no disrespect to the players that I've, I've played with coached, but I'm just, I, I remember it because I, I was very lucky. I got to go to, to the, to Super Bowl 27 when they played the bills yeah. and just routed the bills and uh, that offensive line, the Cowboys could have done anything that day. They could have ran the ball 70 times if they wanted to. Um, it, it was just, it was pure domination. Yeah. And, and they had so much fun. And this is back in the 90s when you could get away with, like, murder up front. Oh, so, yeah. like, they just they just put people in the ground. And um, Troy Aikman rarely got hit. Um, Emmett Smith rarely got touched. Right. Um, and, and I think Emmett Smith has the record he has because of that offensive line. It's the – you're the second person that's given me that, that, that group. Um and and I've and I've got no you know any 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 I don't care what people tell me I'm gonna I like the lists they give me because they're all different but <laughs> that that group um they're they've got an NFL what's the what's the NFL films the a football life they've got their own football life that offensive line so uh, they're they're the only group that that has a their own story um so yeah that's they they were they were fun to watch there's I mean shoot. That was what, thirty years ago? Yeah, and, long and, time ago. And people will still pull up that film and talk about like Nate Newton and and Mark Stepnoski and and uh, Mark Tuane and all those guys because they were yeah. just they were just dominant. I mean, they were just absolutely trouncing people. So um, I can respect that. That's a we'll, we'll allow it. So um, yeah, yeah, the Great Wall of Dallas. That's the what they used to call it. Hell yeah, man! The Great Wall of Dallas. That was, uh, it was, it was. They, those guys, and I'm not a Dallas fan. I, I actually probably lean more towards hating Dallas. But um, it enough. seems like it seems like the Cowboys always have a pretty good offensive line. So you've got to you've got to give kudos to uh, to to that regime um, for what <laughs> they've done. So yeah, it, it helps that they they have an owner that is willing to spend kudos well, of money. Yeah, that too. That too. But. <laughs> Um, well, anyways, coach, do me a favor before we get you out of here, drop your, uh, Twitter handle and any other information you want the listeners to know. 
Yeah, absolutely. So at Coach Rosenberry, um, I you know love talking football with people. Uh, it's anybody who wants to reach out to me, please feel free to, to DM me on Twitter. It's it's always a pleasure to learn new ideas and and get to talk to coaches from all over the country. Awesome. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, glad glad you reached out two year or a year ago when you did, and and, and we you know could strike up this friendship and uh, wish you you know best of luck and uh, looking forward to talking talking ball with you again soon. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. The Hog Football Podcast is brought to you by the online clinic at Chief Pigskin. The online clinic by Chief Pigskin is a collection of coaching content from over a decade of travels from a high school coach. With video quality that is unmatched, you should check them out at clinic.chiefpigskin.com.